0: So in the show notes, you'll always be able to find the link to watch the video on our YouTube channel and make sure that you hit subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. Thank you so much for supporting the show and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. I'm your host, Tisha Mazouz. And on this week's episode, I was joined by Karen from a company called Thor Companies. Karen has been on a fantastic journey. We're talking over a decade of recruitment experience. And over the, the last nine years, he was the sixth employee of the business that he's been part of for nearly a decade. And he's now actively involved in the business that has circa 130 people in the business today globally. They have offices in London, New York, Stockholm, LA. And his role has really evolved and he's become someone that is known to be a troubleshooter, is known to be someone that can get the best out of people and teams. So in this episode, we're gonna really dive into loads of leadership philosophies, how they've really uh, diversified and grown the business, and so much more. Enjoy the episode. Karen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to uh, talking about your recruitment career. You've been in the industry for over a decade.
1: 13 years, we're not counting 13 years, years yeah. so plenty
0: to unpack. <laughs> uh, I think what I always like to do before I ask you the, the million pound question that we always start with, but just like to unpack it for the listeners in terms of sort of parts of your journey and where you're at today. So feel free to correct me if I, if I get any of this wrong. But just, just for everyone listening, so as you said, been in the industry for 13 years, started your recruitment career with an S3 brand, Progressive, worked there Sorry. for three and a half years. And then you joined the business that you are still part of now, Thor Companies, Yep, been a big part of that journey, the sixth employee. And now this business has scaled to circa 100 people have different offices globally and you've always operated in, in different parts of of the world and your your role which is why I'm, I'm really excited to sort of unpack a few of these things from at the moment i'm sure there's loads of different things you get involved with but the way that you described it to me was there's sort of three key areas that you find yourself in which is managing the sales of the life science business run a team of ta and actually involved in there and then you're also heavily involved in LD. that's why i was really keen to Unpack your journey because I think you, you've you been involved in all different parts of a growing recruitment business. But where I always like to start, and I'm sure this is something you've thought a lot about, particularly at Thor, is I'd love to hear your take on, in your opinion, what characteristics and traits do you believe make up a, a highly successful recruitment consultant in, in today's market? I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on that.
1: I like when you say today's market because, um, like you said, 13 years in the industry, I think my perception, uh, and I'm sure other people in my position would say, yeah, hard work, commitment, uh, you know, all those things, grit, uh, the communication skills. They're, they're standard. They need to be there. The resilience piece. I think in today's market, when you add to that list, for me, it would be commercial awareness. I think people, when they're switched on, they're curious commercially to know what's happening in the market. I think that's a good sign of a successful recruiter in the making, recruiter in the making. What else? I think um, accountability is big given how recruitment is done today, the emphasis on yields, DPH, um, what is the business doing from a profitability perspective? I think if people feel accountable, they perform better, i.e. they know what their goals and targets are, so they're accountable towards them. So I think think those would be the addition to the resilience, the hard work piece that everyone talks about. Apart from that, I would say, yeah, drive. People are really driven. Uh, People are self-aware. And I think I definitely heard this on one of your podcasts and I thought about it. That's actually, yeah, pretty much what we look for as well. People who are moldable, people who are willing to try different things. All of those traits, in my opinion, I think, yeah, that you're, you're set for a good recruitment career if you've got that in locker.
0: Yeah, so many great things there. I guess I really want to focus on this journey that you've been on with with Thor. I think a lot of people are really interested in that. But I have to sort of ask, and I always like to sort of start here, how would you describe Caravan before recruitment?
1: I think if I'm honest, growing up, I didn't have many role models. I don't come from a massive, like a privileged family, but we had enough food, money and all that jazz, but it's all right. I never had like the need to look up to someone. It was, I was content. Before recruitment, the reality is I've got a degree in engineering. I've got a master's in finance. When I was able to sort of add two and two together, I was like, okay, I need, a, I need to make money. That's, I'm driven by money, clearly. Um, where's the most amount of money? Finance seemed to be Everyone sort of wanted to be an investment banker. So I was like, okay, we'll go into a master's in finance we'll um, Turn into a yeah high-profile investment banker or something like that, that obviously didn't happen because I graduated At a peak of a financial crisis. I don't <laughs> you must have been quite young back then 2008 2009 I had no choice fell into recruitment, but I think to answer your question Hisham, I feel Always, even at a young age, 14, 15, I was doing stuff. I was, you know, going to my dad's mill, picking up all the scrap metal, selling that to the scrap dealers, making a few quid there. When I was at university, yes, I had the odd job at Sainsbury's and, and all that stuff that people do, but I think I was more buzzing about um, getting a suitcase of costume jewelry from China or India and going to Greenwich market or Covent Garden market, going to the market and selling that. You know, that, that was me. So I just loved being that villa dealer uh but that's also where i learned i'm good talking to people i don't have a fear of approaching people so i think all of that made me feel when i did decide that okay this could be a industry i can i can actually try it out those were the reasons that i can make a lot of money i'm good with people so yeah that was me before recruitment i love that
0: <laughs> um so what and i always like asking this question because a lot of people do fall into the industry as you know like and we were just t- touching on this earlier, but like, what what do you think this amazing career and industry has maybe given you as a, as a person, professionally, personally, that maybe you, you least expected when you was at that part of your life and you sort of fell into it?
1: That's very hard for me to answer, but I think the reality is that there's a lot I've learned in the last 10, 15 years about, I've learned about myself. I mean, my ability, this resilience piece that we, you just asked me, the characteristics of a good recruiter, I didn't know I had it in me to the extent I do now. Obviously, with time, your threshold to deal with rejection and failures. You learn and you pick up and you move on. But I think, um, yeah, for me, what I've got from this career is obviously the financial upside, which we don't make, you know, it's, it's a given if you're good, you make a lot of money. So that's there. Good. We've got a good lifestyle, great house, good sort of um, yeah, holidays and all that stuff. But I think for me, it's the, especially, I thought, the opportunity to work with the people I work with, to learn from them. and being able to see different aspects of how to run a business so you can you can say that that's outside of recruitment but it still has been part of my recruitment journey dealing with people how to manage how to get the most out of your people how to approach a difficult conversation with ease so just all of that puts like perspective so i've got perspective of my time in the industry
0: nice no, love that because i don't know i'm a huge advocate of people choosing uh, a career in recruitment just because i think just some of the things you're saying now there's so many amazing things that come with a successful career in recruitment that you learn about yourself professionally personally but i guess what i was keen to ask you and then we'll sort of move on to your journey in the last sort of nine years what are some of the things as a recruiter do you think you learn within that s3 environment early on that maybe you still live by today out of interest
1: mate like i said training there was really good still like I look back at the days those training formats in um, uh, the West End they were great but I think for me personally that was it I I learned recruitment there the basics of recruitment I've always been someone that I just look around me what you're doing okay that's working for you I'm going to try that I'm going to put a spin on that or you're doing that I'm going to copy that I'm going to apply so not really sort of uh, you know that they've taught me this. I think, yeah, a few things, lead sheets. I think lead sheets. Uh, lead sheets uh, <laughs> my manager was like, where's your lead sheet? And, and I think that was pretty good. I'm very good at market mapping, still I'm uh, heavily involved in sort of identifying new markets, new sort of uh, geographies and so that, where, where this money will follow. So yeah, the lead sheet piece was from S3. A day plan, something small, having structure. You're doing client work in the morning, you're doing candidate work in the afternoon. That accountability also in terms of your targets you need to be doing X amount of dial-outs or interviews to do deals, those ratios. So seeing a recruitment business from a ratio perspective, I think I learned that at S3. And I say I learned that at S3, it was predominantly my manager, Nick, who's still my boss. We've been working together for yeah 13 years. Nick was very much like, okay, you've got an interview ratio of four to one. You need to bring that down to three. So you need to work on your candidate quality. That ability to oversee the entire recruitment process, be analytical about it, that was good. MBRs, you know, monthly business reviews, I think people view them as, okay, this is a tasting session, I'm going to get told off by my manager. I'm just like, this is a great opportunity as a consultant to spend some time with your manager, go through your month in numbers, what's working, what's not working, what's the target. So there's, there's loads of good stuff. We've uh, And I'm not saying it's just exclusive to S3, in the industry. Mm.
0: The, the reason why I ask is, because I'm, I'm sure you see this now in Thor, but like in... The modern world, there's always something new, gold and shiny. That like, oh, I can try it this way and these things. And you typically hear recruiters that have been in the industry for a long time, the importance of getting back to basics. So I was, yeah, I was just curious to hear what you sort of picked up that maybe you still live by. I wanted to ask you because you just mentioned him there, Nick. That that's a really long time working for someone who yeah, yeah still now your boss. How do you think he's inspired you? How do you think he's led? in a way that has made you be someone that has been committed to helping him on his journey, he's helped you on your journey, I don't know, what, what are some of the things that you think Nick's done really well that has obviously really resonated you and kept you engaged and motivated for this sure. entire team time to be on, on the journey with him?
1: Sure, so I think, uh, to give you some context, me and Nick didn't like each other at the start.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. No,
1: I think we did a business trip in Oslo and uh, we got off at Heathrow on the way back, we didn't even say bye, we just <laughs> went. Uh, anyway, that's a long time ago. What happened after that trip i think he realized that i'm good and i also realized bloody hell he is really good so we both saw that there's potential and i was like, I can learn a lot i've always been open to the idea if i can learn something from you i'll, I'll work around you i'll compromise and I'll, I'll come in line with whatever you want me to do so that kind of relationship started there and then since then i would say he's always had my back in particular so when the director's s3 would be giving him a hard time about me he will fight my corner and yeah we all have ups and downs i think there were I do remember like one or two mo- bad months for me where the deals weren't coming. My problem was I never had a vertical. I never stuck to a vertical. So if I was to give some advice to myself, it probably would be stick to a vertical. It works. That's another one thing we picked up S3, I would say. You know, having a vertical patch and actually mapping it out is pretty good. So to answer that previous question. So Nick's, yeah, he's been, he's been a mate. He's been my mentor throughout my career. I think, I think his leadership is more about, it has the vision, guys. This is what it means for me this is what it could mean for you but because we work together so many years he actually knows what's important for me it's my family it's the financial perks it's recognition so whatever he whatever project he gives me or he's running we will have that understanding i know he wants perfection he probably wants uh, everything to be done in the best way quickest by pleasing all the shareholders i know that so i'll just start thinking and acting like that he's been very uh, instrumental over the last couple of years in particular, especially in the pandemic. So he had a plan, he communicates his plan, his plan really well. And we can see that it, it will work, we just need to give it our best. So I don't know if that answers your question. But that is just like that trust has been there from a long time. And now it's the case of okay, even if we disagree on something, we'll end up agreeing eventually, compromise here and there. And, and that just works.
0: No, I think there's some great learnings in there for any aspiring leaders or current leaders. He's obviously really understands what your drivers are. I think the best leaders understand what those are or at least work really hard to know what drivers different people have. And yeah, I think it sounds easy to be able to clearly articulate your vision and and what you want to things, but that's actually really difficult, especially when you're trying to get other people on that journey, right? So I think that's a, a really good skill. So I guess help me out here then and help us out the people listening like in terms of four as a business early on obviously been there for nine years obviously what you shared with me and you can feel free to add any context but obviously early years I think you shared with me that fair to say it was a bit treated a bit more like a lifestyle business and you did a lot in the oil and gas yeah so we were Um, predominantly
1: an oil recruitment company uh, Oil recruitment
0: uh, recruitment company yeah and then obviously one of the, the the big I'm sure there's been quite a few milestones and the pivotal moments but one of the pivotal moments that then actually ended up being the catalyst for the growth of the business was 2016, all crisis. Yes. So just describe to us, so like going into that, the business was, did you say it was like, what, seven or eight, like four to eight I think people? we
1: were nine people. We were doing really well, even as a lifestyle business. I think Nick, Chris, Lee, like all the guys, we were pulling together, having a lot of fun, making yeah. a lot of money, and we were like, guys, we're ready, all right, come on, let's, let's take some risk. We were in a office in Clapham, Chris was always like, no, no, we need to be in the city. He loves the city anyway, but we committed to a big fat lease, uh, moved in, I think we moved in the month of, yeah, probably October, November time. And then six months later, boom, the oil price drops from 120, I think it's hovering around 30, 40. And I was like, no, 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 everything's gonna be all right, guys. Everything was all gonna be all right. But the reality was it was, it still isn't all right in that industry. All we knew was oil. All our contacts, all our dealings were heavily exposed to that one industry. Lesson learned. Diversification is good. But yeah, that was the catalyst. We were like, okay, guys, we are obviously very good. Either we can pack up, you know, go back to S3 because we were pretty, we were good billers. Very employable, in my opinion. We could either do that or come on, there's a challenge here. What are we prepared to do? Let's go one more time. And that paid off. We diversified into other geographies. We were very good headhunters because we never had databases. I think that's one thing very unique about us. We are really good headhunters. We're very good market mappers. We know exactly who to call for what job. A, we don't work generalist jobs, they're very specialist jobs. So we work in markets where to do a placement, there's only, let's say, circa 300 people in a country that do that job. So you know pretty much everyone. So we're like, we've got something here. Can we replicate that in Sweden, in Denmark, which worked? Can we try other industries? We only did oil, can we do tech? Chris had a huge background in tech anyway. He was at S3 recruiting in um, the SAP market in the UK. So from that, we went shut out. From nine people, we went back to six. So we had to let go of a few people. And then, yeah, 2017, I would say the life science business really kicked off and everything just kind of followed. It was 15, 16 people, all together, 2017, and then, yeah, like you said, we're 132 today across uh, three key markets, across four yeah, office locations.
0: So just to make sure everyone understood that, so the three key markets now are tech, life science, engineering and, and, and engineering. Yeah. Okay, so just quickly on, just wanna take you back to that moment when the, the barrel of oil, sorry to, obviously it's quite painful. It's all right, <laughs> you learn from it. But like, this is what people wanna, I guess, hear and, and learn from. This podcast is proudly partnered with the award winning Sourcebreaker. Now, I think it's safe to say that right now the market is crazy. Continue to hear people saying, never seen the market like it. And I continue to speak to recruiters who are inundated with jobs, which is why I'm not surprised that the number one word that I'm always hearing at the moment is automation. And if you're looking at how you can enable your teams to spend more time on what they're brilliant at, building relationships, speaking to people, then you need to look at Sourcebreaker. It's helped countless recruitment companies scale more quickly, enable their younger recruits and their rookies to get better more quickly and automate a whole lot of the, the work that a lot of recruiters are probably not so good at and the work that, that maybe they don't enjoy as much. Because you listen to this podcast, you're going to be able to get an exclusive discount on the Sourcebreaker product. So if you have not already get a demo booked in with Sourcebreaker, use the link in the show notes, you will not regret it. If you're thinking about that word automation in 2022, you need to consider Sourcebreaker. How did that actually feel when that happened? You said like, oh, it's gonna be all right, guys, blah, blah, blah. What was actually going through your mind when you realized, actually, guys, I don't think this is actually-
1: Would you believe it? I was actually on the phone to a um, big engineering manager in a massive international oil and gas company. We're very good at building rapport, so we had a relationship with this guy. We met him a couple of times. I was actually trying to convince him, he's gonna be all right. He's telling me, this is done, this is over. I'm like, no, 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 Stein, it'll be all right. Trust me, get this another contractor in. No. So I think the reality is credit where credit's due. Nick, again, came through. We took some salary cuts around that time. We took a long holiday. Summer for us is normally very quiet. Nick was like, guys, there's no business. Why don't we just take a long holiday? Unpaid. Uh, but come on, this is your contribution towards, you know, your commitment. Uh, and we're working on a plan. The plan was to go life sciences. So yeah, I think I, think I was scared. I'm not going to lie to you. That was I was just having my first kid around that time. Uh, I was expecting uh, baby. yeah, it was August time, and I was really scared. This is in July. Guys, what's happening? Like, what is happening? <laughs> and to be fair, I actually didn't know this about me, that um, I can actually recruit in other markets. I thought I'm an oil and gas recruiter. Stavanger is my bread and butter. Trondheim, Bergen are locations I'm good at. But Norway, that's all I know. But the reality is, I think when you're in those situations, you learn to adapt. And and, and thank God I went through that. I feel like Nick and Chris, particularly at that time, they were really good catalysts for, guys, adapt adapt new skills, adapt new markets, go try it out. We don't have two months to try new markets. You're good enough to make a call in two weeks. So we were trying markets, new markets ourselves. I did life sciences, uh, I did tech, I did everything. I did Nigeria, I did uh, America, I did Belgium, all sorts. But again, that trust, uh, that, that sort of uh, encouragement from your, you know, owners, in a way, goes a long way. And it does push you out of your comfort zone and you achieve great things.
0: I love that. So curious, I, I think this is the sort of right moment to ask with the couple of things that um, you mentioned there. Like you said, obviously, now you're in free core markets. said you've always been excellent at market mapping. Like, I think people would be really curious to sort of hear your perspective and take on like, now there's probably a bit more of a science to it like back then you said like let's just adapt let's try different things but what would you say are some of the like if you were to start a brand new patch tomorrow and you were looking for a market that you think could be sustainable could there could have be sort of plenty of growth in the market there's, there's plenty of money to be made uh, it's within niche as you said within the vertical what are some of the sort of yeah key indicators or things that karen looks for when we're looking at a market to go, you know what, I think this is well worth putting resource and time into. What are some of the key indicators that you now look for in terms of a a market that you think is well worth going into, focusing on, and potentially building a business around?
1: I think think to just base it on a uh, online search or a digital search might be not the right one, but personally for me, when I've done it, I've seen what I can leverage that we have today. For example, engineering was a very good add-on to what we knew on the oil side because there there, there were some overlaps in terms of the skill set, a health and safety engineer in oil and gas could also do health and safety stuff on a a project for engineering industry. So I would see for leverages, what what you've got already, what are the add-ons to that market. But if I'm honest with you, and again, I I did pick this up from S3. Um, I don't know if I'm giving too much away here. Um, Knowing what your competition does, I got that from a very, very small interaction with Russell Clements, who was the CEO back then. And it was just a informal conversation and his feedback to us was as managers like you should always know what your competition is doing because we should follow them and then beat them again that's quite old school um yeah from the past but the reality is i'm looking at how many people let's say we pick up a skill set based on these conversations what the competition is doing your own commercial awareness kicks in for example now with the energy builds what they're doing it's it's a no-brainer that we need to there's going to be a huge investment towards Unconventional sources, okay, so what we're saying there is a huge demand. Okay, great, so you follow, you follow your nose there. Then for me, from a recruitment perspective, I'm looking at how many jobs are being advertised in that. What's the average salaries there? How many people are, let's say, in a city doing that job as per LinkedIn? Okay, so those are the kind of things I'll be looking at, and that will allow me to yeah, conclude my due diligence and say, okay, that's the market I want to go into, or I don't want to go into that because the average fees are low, volume's not there, whatever.
0: Yeah, no, some great insight there. So curious to ask you then, I've had a number of people that I've sat down with who have said how competitive and challenging the UK market is, uh, even if they're in a niche and, and these types of things. Even I had someone recently say like they would, yeah, never do the UK market again and only do mainland Europe and these things. Just curious to get your thoughts on like, what do you think are some of the the key principles to recruiting successfully in places like Norway, Scandinavia, internationally because I think a lot of people if I'm honest that I'm speaking to obviously have their business in the UK but actually are just doing a bit like you guys that only recruit in uh, places outside of the UK. I don't know if you have anything to share there on maybe things you've had to learn the hard way, but what, what are some of the, the sort of principles you think to, to being successful in international markets, you think?
1: I think you've got to have a long-term vision. So you can't go into these markets, definitely not in mainland Europe, definitely not with Scandinavia. I think I can, you know, name 10, 15 businesses, top of my head that because uh, I think they go in with the UK mindset of looking at it as a transactional piece of business. I think that's the first mistake because these guys, A, don't know you, don't really trust you anyway, but then if you're going in with that attitude, you are bound to, you know, not build a relationship. You're not going to build a relationship. You might do the odd placement here and there, but you won't build relationships. So I think that's key. You've got to be patient. You've got to have a long-term play. What does that country or that market means to your overall strategy? What does it mean from a headcount perspective? Okay, so if all of those criteria are big ones, you can't be playing at it. You've got to commit to it and you've got to be able to see through the, you know, one two three four months where you don't make any money but you're learning 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 and then when it actually starts to come in then how do we expand and grow and that's when your bd comes in your account managers come in but i think a lot of businesses in my opinion quite humble in my opinion but i feel yeah they're all about the quick wins now
0: Mm. just thought of this when you were talking about that how long would you give a new market a chance you think karen in terms of like you've seen the things that you've seen you've really given it a real effort or X period of time, but then I don't know if there's a period where you then have to make a decision. And gone, I don't know, three six months ago, you know what? We've really given it a crack. Maybe it wasn't quite what we expected. Is there? I don't know. I don't know if you've thought. I about have that.
1: experienced that as well. Like I've thought, there's, there's been one or two markers where we, we're making money, but it's painful, and it's good money, but it's painful. It's not as consistent that we would like. So I, I would say, depending on experience level, if I've got my best person in a project that I feel I've done the due diligence go in money to be made i think if it's my best person i probably say two months three months max is enough and again i'll be looking for green shoots are people willing to talk to you are people open to using agents because if in three months you can't make it work it's definitely not a skill because i've got my best person on that my project it probably is the market and there are certain markets like that which are not uh, yeah, they're not fertile, so you shouldn't be in those patches because there's enough people or there's not that much demand, whatever the case may be. So I would say depending on skill level, but if you're a decent recruiter, 360, two to three months should be enough time for you to say, okay, this is not working, I need to get away. Because then you're chucking good money after bad.
0: Yeah, no, no, yeah, that, that's really helpful. So let's talk about this, this scaling journey then. Yeah. A lot of, I, I'm sure you're aware, like so many recruitment companies in the UK, a lot of them aren't 100 plus people. Actually, a very small percentage of them are. So obviously I'm not sitting down with the, the founders of Thor, but I think you all have a really interesting perspective of you have been a big part of this journey and been on, on the ride. What would you say, let, let's start with the challenges, people want, want to know about some of the, the difficult periods and some of the things that you really had to work through. Like thinking about scaling and growing successfully and sustainably, what would you say have been some of the like, biggest challenges or hurdles that you've, you guys have really had to work through Uh, maybe approach in a different way after approaching it a certain way that you had to work through to get to where you are today and continue to go in the right direction? Were there any moments that a lot of people share with us that getting past the sort of 20, 30 head marks really difficult? They find themselves going back and forward. When you're, yeah, 50 to 100 people business, then it's like, I maybe won't be able to have that family feel that maybe we had before Do you know what i mean there's, yeah. there's all different challenges along the journey i don't know if there are any challenges that stick out in your mind that you think wow we're back here again let's try it this way you know
1: loads as you can imagine like i can relate to all of the things you've mentioned there i think yeah getting to 30 and hovering around that for a long period of time hiring but then losing people as well we generally don't lose people to competition so we hire a lot of Scandinavian people because we operate in those countries. So it's a case of, okay, someone decides to go back home or they want to go back to university or they think the industry is not for them. It's so usual challenges. But yeah, hovering around the 30, then getting to 50. Okay, sticking around 50, looking back three months. Okay, we're still 50, what's happened? Oh, yeah, we lost three people there, we lost <laughs> people there. So those are more, uh, I wouldn't even call them failures. They're just learning, learning curves. But we had to change and adapt. Reality is, COVID was good. It was a good catalyst for us. We, we landed some really big hitters, people who probably felt what I felt at S3, that I'm not being looked after. Uh, so those were good hires and we've built teams around them. So they've got already a well-known name. They themselves are good, uh, well-known people in the industry. So when they come to us, they bring a few people with them. So that uh, helped mm. the growth aspect. We upped our salaries massively this year not mine, but everyone else's. <laughs> up. Uh, so yeah, we've now the grads that come in, they, they come in at 25. Mm. So that's, again, you know, being in line with the market, but also making sure we are appealing. Uh, we changed our commission scheme, we've introduced loads of benefits, like loads, gym, pension, insurance, you name it. So that's a constant ongoing, um, you've got to keep adapting, uh, move on with the times. But I would say the biggest challenge, in my opinion, and is annoying because I sit somewhere in the middle, I've got the sales, I've got the growth, I can see the people, is just making sure that the people that are coming into the business think and act like us because eventually they will be one of us or they will be owning a piece of the pie or they will be running a team, a office, somewhere. As long as they can think and act like us, um, great. So that's been the challenge of getting the right people through.
0: Mm. Yeah, it always tends to be that, doesn't it? How do you think about creating what you're saying, they think like and act like us. How do you think about cultivating and influencing and protecting culture? Especially being yeah over a hundred person organization, you've got people in different countries. I don't know, how, how do you think about that? How is there anything that you do uh, internally that you think really makes sure that we have the best chance of influencing the right culture and protecting it, protecting our standards? I don't know, how, how personally do you think about culture and, and uh, yeah, influencing it in the right way or protecting it? This podcast is proudly partnered with VinCherry. Now, you should know by now that they are on the quest and their vision and mission is to be and become the operating system for growing recruitment companies. Well, you may or may not have seen, but I'm here to tell you that they've recently added another fantastic piece of kit to their overall amazing system. It's called Vinio you can probably guess what it is. A lot of you and for the last two or so years have probably accelerated your use of video. So having a tool which is seamlessly in your uh, CRM, what you use every day to prospect candidates, prospect clients, to use video in in your interview process, just going to make your life a whole lot easier. So just another amazing reason why you need to check out VinCherry. If you're looking for an all-in-one platform, the operating system that you need as you scale your recruitment business, then you have to consider VinCherry. Use the link in the show notes. Because you're a recruitment mentors listener, you will get an exclusive discount and price. So use that link and you will not regret it.
1: Massively. Massively. I think when you talk about culture, I do a lot of interviews. I speak to a lot of recruiters, rectorex, and all that. Everyone's talking about culture. You know, every recruitment company, we've got great culture, got great ping pong table, Thursday night beers, company holidays. So everyone's got that. Where are you different? What's your unique point? And I think uh, the biggest thing for me, what I'm trying to instill when I speak to people is you've got the... You've know, you got the S3s of this world, the Nigel Franks, and, and all the big players, they're up there. Then you've got the startups. There's loads of them, like you said. We're somewhere in the middle. So we've been through the hard yards of a startup where, yeah, I was getting the coffee. We were having to do everything ourselves, TA, marketing, all sorts, and recruiting. And then you've got the big boys where everything's done, the top management's in place, the team leaders, the seniors, everyone's place being looked after. So if you're a recruiter, whether you've got a couple of years under your belt or you're a fresh grad, I think being working for a company like ours, that is really good for you because you're not having to do any of the hard yards of a startup, but you're also not having to jump any red, you know, any bureaucracy or any, any hoops there. So great time to be here. I think um, yeah, the challenge with that is how do you keep these people motivated and ticking along, which is your question. I would say, is constant uh, reinforcing the message, the vision. So you have a uh, sales meeting at the start of the month. Great, guys, this is what we're doing this month. How often do you follow that up? And how often, well, let's say we've got a um, holiday to Dubai as a target. How often are we talking about it on the sales floor, at the coffee machine, in the pub? So people are all, you know, on the same page. Then the other piece would be, you know, how are you engaging your staff? So I personally feel I like to give the team I've got right now, I would like to give them more and more responsibility because I know they can do it, but they also want to do it. It makes them feel part of the business. So for example, if I'm asking one of my seniors to run an incentive as opposed to me running it, may you run it. What do you think we need? Karen, I think we need more interviews. That's what I was lacking last month. Right, great, let's put a target in place. You've got the budget, but you're running it. I trust you. That conversation, and there's, you know, six, seven, eight team leaders in that position, they will then trickle that down message. They will trickle that message down. They'll pass on the positivity. They'll work with extra sort of consciousness because I've trusted them. And I think that's what's working for us right now.
0: Mm. That all sounds really interesting, I guess. At this point, as we sort of come to the, the the end here, there's a couple of things that I just wanted to get your thoughts on. One of the things that you shared with me that you feel like is one of the things you're good at, and I feel like you're just talking about it there, is leadership and sort of empowering people. And I think that is... A really big part of successfully growing your recruitment business big yeah and i think that can be uh, really challenging for people to get right i think ideally a lot of recruitment owners that i speak to or recruitment leaders they'd love to have homegrown talent that get to leaders and these types of things but it can be really difficult to cultivate that and create that so the first thing that i just i'm always curious to hear people's thoughts on like do you have any leadership philosophies that you really live by that you think enable you to yeah get the most out of your team, empower people, any sort of perspective on like what you think good leadership looks like and the things that you live by and, and really try and cultivate and, and help people with when it comes to leadership. And anything there to share?
1: Loads. Like I said, I, I just learn I'm not naturally sort of a leader leader, but if I see you're doing something good and I know I can benefit from it, I'll go and adapt and, and I'll apply that. But I think the, the basic ones, especially from a recruitment perspective, is lead by example. You know, so I wouldn't be saying anything to my guys, something that I wouldn't do or they can't do. So I'll, I'll have that in mind. So leading leading with an example. Also, you know, what I'm thinking, what I'm wanting from the team, like communicating that enough and, and make it visible so that we're all bought into the same vision. Having the, yeah, the vision that you have in mind, sharing that with your guys, that really helped leadership. If I've got a target in my head that I need to make a million pound profit this year, let's say, and I'm not communicating that to my top leaders, when I'm driving them, because they don't know, they're not bought into it. Mm. So I'm just constantly telling them, like, Aaron, this month, this is the plan made, this is what we're doing, this is what it means for you, this is what it means for me, this is, yeah, we're going for it. How do we get the troops behind it? So I think those two things, leading by an example, having the vision, and I think, you had Andrew on your show, Stiletto, so pick this up from him, the framework, the management framework, like, okay, how do we, there's a problem, how do we solve it? What options do we've got? So keeping keeping it relevant, keeping it fresh and revisiting it, that's for me a leadership style that, that works, at least in my career has worked for me. I'm sure I can do lots more, but yeah, that, that seems to work. And uh, the reality of the situation is when you're working with like-minded people, when you're working with uh, the kind of people that you've either trained yourself or you've, you've got them into the business yourself, that does work, because they're more or less thinking like you as well.
0: Yeah, you've uh, what, what I've found really interesting in this conversation is how often you've used the word vision. When I'm thinking of small growing recruitment businesses, I think that's sometimes what can actually lack, like they're just thinking about what's directly in front of them and it's hard not to think about those things, but I think when I was in a business, recruitment business of eight, 10 people, that's what I think actually really lacked is like, where are we all going together? Why are we all in this together? And like, how I can play a part of that? Do you get what I mean? And I think sometimes people think, oh, I'm going to make sure we have a really crystal clear vision of where we want to get to when we're a bit bigger, when we have more people. Do you know what I mean? And that's clearly, like you've talked about in the leadership, the growth of the business. And I think when you have really thought about where you're taking your business or your team, you can then get people on that journey. Yeah. But if you're just driving the activities and there's... Do you know what yeah, I mean? exactly. Yeah, exactly. So
1: even when I'm running the you know, a meeting with my TA guys, as opposed to saying, yeah, we need to hire these many people, I'm more interested in telling them why we're hiring them. What does it mean for you? What does it mean for the business? And I think that resonates more, as opposed to just saying, guys, 15 hires needed this quarter, off you go. So it's like it's like they're part of the journey. Mm-hmm. And credible, where credit, credit to you, I think that comes a lot from Nick and Chris, like that's how they operate. That's how we were when we were a team of six, you know, nine years ago. We're now 130, we're still working the same way. So it works I wouldn't change that mm-hmm.
0: so as we come to the end here then I think I don't know how you feel about things but depending on how much you buy into negativity online and these things as you said I think one of the key learnings that you shared with us in 2016 was the importance of diversification clearly have that now three different markets different locations but as, as a business what do you guys have top of mind going into the next 6 12 18 months I think a lot of finance people bringing it back to there would probably say we're definitely going to go into a downturn for how long we don't know there's definitely going to be challenges yeah a lot of recruitment leaders I'm speaking to are saying look we're still in a good position but again want to make sure they're they're trying to make smart decisions what are you having top of mind going into the end of this year next year sure where your guys and girls might be in a different type of market and, and be facing challenges where they are going to have to use those resilience muscles
1: Okay, very good question. I think if I was to answer that to the best of my ability, I would say we've had a really good 18 months so far. That includes you know, the pandemic and we've grown in revenue, we've grown in headcount, good. Like I said, we've got three brands. Currently, I would say we're good. Can we do better? Yes. What happens now and then is, okay, one brand will do really good, one might do average, and the third one might, yeah, up and down or whatever. So there's a lot of dovetailing. One month, the US will have a PB month and Europe will have a slow month, vice versa. So I think for me, the next 18 months, along with the other stakeholders, the managers, the team leaders, and everyone's part of this, it's not me or or Nick or Chris or the other man, it's all of us together. We want to get that from good to great, i.e. all brands are consistently delivering. Once we nail that, okay, then then we're one step close to this high-performing culture that we are trying to achieve hopefully we achieve that in the next 15 to 18 months we've got some real real strong uh, projects internally like good projects internally that will help us to achieve that so that'd be my next 18 months to get from good to great i know it might sound cheesy but we've got a good business can we get more yes i think we can scale up a bit more we can sharpen up a little bit more in terms of how to maximize the existing uh markets we work in? How can we maximize the opportunities in those markets? Because I feel like, at times, I feel like we're scratching the surface. There's so much more we can achieve. So that'd be, for me, 18 months. And I feel, okay, if we can nail that, then the following 18 months, again, we would just want to carry on growing in revenue and headcount. We have got a target in place, what we want to be by the summer of next year and the summer after and so on. So those will be just milestones that are just in the background. You do a business plan every year. Rejig it the year after, see where you were short. So, I think the best way to summarize or answer your question would be we're good today, we want to be great. And that's the 18 month plan for us.
0: So, look, let's end it on this then. There'll be a lot of people listening that haven't had that have only experienced good times, loads of jobs, candidates that are challenged, but they're doing deals, they're having PBs. You've been through a number of different markets and challenges. But what would your advice be for people listening to this, recruiters, that, yeah, maybe over the next 12 months, they are going to experience more knockbacks and rejections and challenges that maybe they've ever experienced before? I don't know Yeah, if there's anything that you uh, would leave people with that could maybe uh, help them be best prepared for potentially experiencing more challenges than they've ever experienced.
1: I think uh, your ability to self-reflect, so like if you're doing the same, you're canvassing the same people day in, day out, and not getting the results, okay, so first of all, question who you're canvassing, why you're canvassing, what you're canvassing, why you're pitching them, and then if you can learn from your mistakes and just go into next day with the mentality that I want to improve, that'd be the first more or less like an attitude, self-aware mindset, okay, am I doing the right thing, am I doing the right activity at the right time, if not, can I do that? But I would also say, like, if you could have a think about a complementary market, start preparing in advance. Okay, you, if you, like you said, well, there's a recession coming. Okay, what markets, in your opinion, would not be impacted by this? For instance, during COVID, the sales of uh, health equipment, you know, gym, uh, your, your cycling things. Uh, Pelotons. Well, Peloton. Pelotons, yeah. sorry. Yeah, that, that went through the roof. Laptops sales were sky high mm. everyone wanted laptops to work from home so if you've got that commercial awareness which was you know i mentioned when you said what makes a good recruiter i think that that will allow you to say okay this market is going through a tough time i'll cash in while i can but i need to start thinking about what else is going to be hot what's coming in the best way to do if you're good enough you should be asking your clients you should be asking your candidates who you know let's be honest i'm I've been privileged to work with some senior level people. They obviously know a lot more about the industry than I do. I'm just a young grad calling them <laughs> from a very fancy office in, in Cornhill for S3. Hey, do you want a new job? But they are the experts, right? So mm. I would be asking those guys, whoever you, whichever market you work in, to learn uh, about what's the next evolving technology that you need to be getting onto.
0: I love that. Karen, thank you so much. No, thank you much. Cheers. <laughs> Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? If you have enjoyed the podcast,